Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. that um, one of the primary principles that um, we have to have in the pursuit of greatness or being great is guidance and how to understand guidance. And then we're going to move into a secondary teaching that goes along with this here, um, which is a, a higher teaching around desire that I think that you're going to find very useful. So let's begin. If I were asked which of all of the spiritual principles ranked first, I should feel inclined to say the principle of guidance, not in the sense of being more essential than others, for every portion is equally essential to the other completeness of a perfect whole, but in the sense of being first in order of sequence and giving value to all our other powers by placing them in their due relation to one another. Giving value to our other powers, I say, because this also is one of our powers, in which, judged from the standpoint of personal self-consciousness, is above us, but which realized from the point of view of the unity of all spirit is part and parcel of ourselves, because it is the infinite mind which is of necessity identified within all of its manifestations. Now, this is pretty cool, because we're talking about the infinite mind, which means all possibility, all potential, right? And people are always saying, you know, how, how can I trust my guidance? Well, that's what we're getting into here. He says, looking into this infinite mind as a superior intelligence from which we, we may receive guidance does not therefore imply looking to an external source. On the contrary, it is looking to the innermost spring of our own being with a confidence in its action which enables us to proceed to the execution of our plans with a firmness and assurance that our in themselves the very guarantee of our success. And it doesn't get much better than that. Our action of the spiritual principles in us follows the order which we impose upon them by our thought. Therefore, the order of realization will reproduce the order of desire. And if we neglect the first principle of right order and guidance, we shall find ourselves beginning to put forth other great powers, which are at present latent within us. Now, without knowing how to find a suitable employment for them, which would be a very polarious condition, for which, without having before us objects worthy of the powers to which we awake, we should waste them on petty purposes dictated only by the narrow range of our illuminated intellect. Therefore, the ancient wisdom says this, with all thy getting, get understanding. In other words, the more we understand, see, the, the, this is the whole purpose of study, is to understand. 
The more we understand, the more we get the things that we want on the outside because the more we become on the inside. He says, the awakening to consciousness of our mysterious interior powers will sooner or later take place and will result in using them whether we understand the law of the development or not. And if we didn't understand the law of development, we would be an unconscious competent, which means that we would be getting the result, we just wouldn't understand how we're getting the result. So he goes on to say, just as we already use our physical faculties, whether we understand their laws or not. The interior powers are natural powers as much as exterior ones. We can direct their use by a knowledge of their laws and is therefore of the highest importance to have some sound principle of guidance in the use of these higher faculties as they begin to manifest themselves. If, therefore, we would safely and profitably enter upon the possession of the great inheritance of power that is opening out before us, we must, before all things, seek to realize in ourselves that superior intelligence which will become an unfailing principle of guidance if we will only recognize it as such. Everything depends on our recognition. In other words, we have to consciously be able to recognize this. He says thoughts are things, and therefore, as we will our thoughts to be, so will we will the thing to be. Now let me say that again. As we will our thoughts to be, so we will will the thing to be. If and in doing this, we are still making sense of our own supreme principle, and this is the true understanding, which by placing all the other powers in their correct order, creates one grand unity of power directed to clearly defined and worthy aims in place of the dispersion of our powers by which they only neutralize each other in affecting nothing. Okay, so that's what we, in other words, that's what we don't want to do, right? We do not in any way um, want to like nullify our own power. And that's what we end up doing when we don't focus on the thought of what it is that we want to create. Because we, what happens is we start focusing on the problem. We start focusing on the reason why we can't do something. We start focusing on how somebody else is reacting to what it is that we're doing. And basically, we're neutral. We're, it seems like we're neutralizing it. We're not really neutralizing it. We're creating something else that we don't want. I don't think you could actually completely neutralize the power. Um, but you get, you get the point. He says that this is the, the, that spirit of truth which shall guide us into all truth. It is the sincere desire of us reaching out after truth. Truth first and power afterwards is the reasonable order, which we cannot invert without injury to ourselves and others. But if we follow this order, we shall always find scope for our power is developing into uh, the present realities and continually growing glory of our vision of the ideal. 
the ideal is the true and true and real, but it must be brought into manifestation before it can be shown to be so. And it is in this that the practical nature of our mental studies consists. It is the practical mystic who is the man of power, the man who, realizing the mystical powers within, fits his outward action to this knowledge and so shows his faith by his works. And assuredly, the first step is to make use of that power of infallible guidance which he can call to his aid simply by desiring to be led by it. Okay? So now we get into this. It's called desire as the motive power. Okay? So we talked about how when you have the desire, the thing that you desire is already here. Now we're going to get deeper into the idea of desire as leading us in the direction that we want to go. There are certain oriental schools of thought, together with various western offshoots of them, which are entirely founded on the principle of annihilating all desire. Reach that point at which you have no wish for anything and you will find yourself totally free. In the sum and substance of their teaching and support of this, they put forth a great deal of very um, uh, suspicious kind of an argument, so to speak, which is all the more likely to entangle the unwary because it contains the recognition of many of the profound truths of nature. But we must bear in mind that it is possible to have a very deep knowledge of the psychological facts and at the same time um, violate the results of our knowledge by an entirely wrong assumption in regard to the law which binds these facts together in the universal system. And the injurious results of misapprehension upon such a vital question are so radical and far-reaching that we cannot too forcibly urge the necessity of clearly understanding the true nature of the point at issue. Stripped of all its accessories and embellishments, the question resolves itself into this, which shall we choose for our portion, life or death? In other words, what do we want in our life, life or death? Do we want to have a life that is fun and exciting and free and joyous and prosperous and healthy? Or do we want to have one that is dysfunctional and drama and demeaning and um, a, a, like a self-fulfilling cycle of doom based on the paradigms that we were handed down and it's nothing but a struggle. There can be no accommodation between the two and whichever we select as our guiding principle must produce results of a kind proper to itself. The whole of this momentous question turns on the place that we assign to desire in our system of thought. Is the tree of life in the midst of the garden of the soul, or is it the utopia tree creating the wilderness of death all around? This is the issue on which we have to form the judgment, and the judgment must color all of our conception of life and determine the entire range of possibilities. Let us then try to, pick, try to picture to ourselves the ideal proposed by the system to which I have alluded. 
a man who has succeeded in entirely annihilating all desire. To him all things must be alike. The good and the evil must be as one, for nothing has any longer the power to raise any desire in him. He has no longer any feeling which shall prompt him to say, this is good, therefore I choose it, or this is evil, therefore I reject it. For all choices implies the perception of something more desirable in what is chosen than what is rejected. And consequently, the existence of that feeling of desire, which has been entirely eliminated from the ideal that we are contemplating. Then, if the perception of all that makes one thing preferable to another has been obliterated, there can be no motive for any sort of action whatsoever. And do a being who has thus extinguished this, his faculty of desire with the power to create a universe, and he has no motive for employing it. And do him with all the knowledge and the will to be useless to him, for since desire has no place in him, he is without any purpose for which to turn his knowledge to account. And with love we cannot undo him, for that is the desire in the supreme degree. But if all this be excluded, what is left in the person? Nothing except the mere outward form. In other words, just the body, just like a lump of body. There's, there's no reason to do anything. If he has actually obtained this ideal, he has practically ceased to be. Nothing can be any means of interest to him, for there is nothing to attract or repel in uh, one thing more than the other. He must be dead alike to all feeling and to all motive of action. For, uh, for both feeling and action imply the preference for one condition rather than another. And where desire is utterly extinguished, no such preference can exist. No doubt some, uh, uh, someone may object that it is only evil desires which are thus to be suppressed, but a pursual of the writings of the school of thought in question will show that this is not the case. The foundation of the whole system is that all desire must be obliterated, the desire for good just as much as the desire for evil. The good is as much illusion as the evil until we have reached absolute indifference to both and we have not attained freedom. When we have utterly crushed out all desire, we are free, and the practical results of such a philosophy are shown in the case of Indian devotees who, in pursuance of the resolve to crush out all desire, both for good and evil alike, become nothing more than outward images of men from which all power of perception and action have long since fled. The... the, the the emergence of the universal at which they thus aim becomes nothing more than a self-induced hypnotism which is maintained for a sufficient length of time, saps away every power of mental and bodily activity, leaving nothing but outside husk and uh, in a, you know, just a, a form of the body, the hopeless wreck of what was once a living person. This is the logical result of a system which assumes for its starting point that desire is evil in and of itself and that every desire per se a form of bondage 
uh, independently of the nature of its object. The majority of the followers of this philosophy may lack sufficient, sufficient resolution to carry it out rigorously to its practical conclusion. But whether their, their ideal is to be realized in this world or in some other, the utter extinction of desire means nothing else than absolute apathy without feeling and without action. So there is no purpose in eliminating desire. How entirely false such an idea is, not only from the standpoint of our daily life, but also from that of the most transcendental conception of the universal principle, is evidenced by the mere fact that anything exists at all. If the highest ideal is that of utter apathy, then the creative power of the universe must be extremely low-minded, and all that we have hitherto be accustomed to look upon the marvelous order of beauty of its creation is nothing but a display of vulgarity and ignorance and sound philosophy. But the fact that creation does exist proves that the universal mind thinks differently, and we have to only look around to see the true ideal in the exercise of its creative power. Hence, so far from desire being a thing to be annihilated, it is the very root of every conceivable mode of life. Without it, life could not be. Every form of expression implies the selection of all that goes to make up that form and passing by whatever is not required for the purpose. Hence, a desire for which is selected in preference to which is laid aside. And this selective desire is nothing more than a universal law of attraction or the law of manifestation. Whether this law acts as a chemical affinity or apparently unconscious atoms or the instinctive, if unreasoned, attractions of the vegetable and animal worlds, it is still the principle of selective affinity. And it continues to be the same when it passes into the higher kingdoms, which is ruled by reason and consciousness and conscious purpose. See, now here's the thing about this, right? What he's saying is that a lot of the philosophies that have been studied in the past that say the desire is bad, it's, it's complete nonsense. Desire, nothing could live without desire, and desire is what we need to be uh, not only focused on, but allow it, uh, allowing it to guide us to the higher principles of greatness that we seek to express without. He says, the modes of activity <clears throat> in each of these kingdoms are dictated by the nature of the kingdom, but the activity itself always results from the preference of a certain subject for a certain object, to the exclusion of all others. And all action consists in the reciprocal movement of the two towards each other in obedience to the law of their affinity, right? So when you want something, it wants you. Both things are attracting each other. When this takes place in the kingdom of conscious individuality, the affinities exhibit themselves as mental action. But the principle of selection prevails without exception throughout the universe. In the conscious mind, this attraction towards affinity becomes desire. The desire to create some condition of things better than that now existing. 
Our want of knowledge may cause us to make mistakes as to what this better thing really is, and so in seeking to carry out a desire, we may give it a wrong direction. But the fault is not in the desire itself, but in our mistaken notion of what it is that requires for its satisfaction. Hence, unrest and dissatisfaction until true affinity is found. But as soon as this is discovered, the law of attraction at once asserts itself and produces that better condition, the dream of which first gave direction to our thoughts. Thus, it is eternally true that desire is the cause of all feeling and all action. In other words, all life. The whole livingness of life consists in receiving or radiating forth the vibrations produced by the law of attraction. And the kingdom of mind, in the kingdom of mind, these vibrations necessarily become conscious outreachings of the mind in the direction in which it feels attraction. That is to say, they become desires. Desire is therefore the mind seeking to manifest itself in some form which yet exists only in thought. Now let me read that again. Desire is therefore the mind seeking to manifest itself in some form which as yet exists only in thought. It is the principle of creation, whether the thing created be a world or a wooden spoon. Both have the origin in desire to bring something into existence which does not yet exist. Whatever may be the scale on which we exercise our creative ability, the motive power must always be desire. Therefore, it's giving us guidance. There's no question about it. It is guiding us to create something that yet we have yet to create. Desire is the force behind all things. It is the moving principle of the universe in the innermost center of all life. Hence, to take the negation of desire for our primal principle is to endeavor to stamp out life itself. But what we have to do is to acquire the requisite knowledge by which to guide our desires to their true objects of satisfaction. To do this is the whole end of knowledge, and any knowledge applied otherwise is only a partial knowledge, which having failed in its purpose is nothing but ignorance. Desire is the sum, is thus the sum total of the livingness of life. In other words, the bringing about life, the doing of life, the living of life. For it is that in which all movement originates, whether on the physical level or the intellectual level or the spiritual level. In a word, Desire is the creative power and must be carefully guarded, trained, and directed accordingly, but thus to seek to develop it to its highest perfection is the very opposite of trying to kill it outright, and desire has fulfillment for its correlative. The desire and its fulfillment are bound together and cause effect. And when we realize the law of their sequence, we shall be more than impressed with the supreme importance of desire as the great center of life. Now, I want you to think about it like this. 
The desire to be great is the desire to create something which is not yet created. So what is it that when a person has a desire to be great is actually desiring? They are desiring to tap into the fullest potential of their own being. Now, you know, here's the thing. People do this, I think, in stages in their life because um, growth is something that is constant and needs to become part of a person's uh, living value system, so to speak. In other words, it is, it is the, the, the first, foremost, and most fundamental value that we have is our own personal growth. We pay attention to that. That becomes the center. That becomes the guiding compass of everything that we're doing. If something's wrong on the outside, we're going to go make an adjustment on the inside. When we feel the desire uh, to do greater things in life or to be great at a specific thing that we're doing, that is the uh, spirit working from the inside out, trying to produce greater things than what we have produced before. So it is literally, as Troward is pointing out here, it is giving us a guidance in the direction that we want to go, but we need to learn to follow it. In other words, um, in the learning of following it, what we're doing is we're obeying the law. There's a lot of teachings that, that you can study on uh, actually obeying the law. I mean, there's actual teachings out there. Troward does some. Uh, uh, Russell does some. Um, trying to think of other authors, uh, uh, Genevieve Berend has done some, and I know that there are actually some in Think and Grow Rich. In other words, the idea is that we surrender. We're surrendering to the guidance within that is seeking expression without. And here, again, what he's saying is that we have to understand that the desire that we have on the inside uh, is literally the creative power seeking on the outside to create something greater. So <clears throat> if you take, I mean, greatness is not something in and of itself. You can't just take greatness and plop it out there and say, well, this is, this is greatness. It is the making better of something that already exists. So if we are following the desire within to be greater on the outside, we first have to be greater on the inside. It is the creation of that greatness by the acknowledgement of that greatness and the following of it. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.